0: Catherine Lopez-Luker. It is with great pleasure that I am able to announce that Simon & Schuster Publishing Company has given permission for this book to be read out loud and shared on Stories Come to Life until June 30th, 2024. But of course, the episodes that fall under that special permission will all be taken down on that date, so listen now while they're available. What a wonderful surprise! Nancy Drew discovered that the car she flagged down on the lake road contained her father and Laura Pendleton. Now the three of them can put their skills together to try to stop dastardly Stumpy Dowd before he can cross the state line and escape with Laura's entire fortune. In her blue roadster, Nancy embarks on a high-speed chase. Now sit back, relax, and listen to this story come to life. Nancy Drew Mystery Stories The Bungalow Mystery Chapter 22 A Chance Meeting Nancy Drew could scarcely believe her ears when she heard an answering shout from the automobile, which had halted near her roadster. She recognized the voice of her father. With a cry of joy, she sprang from the car and ran across the road toward the sedan. Father! she cried. Nancy! As Carson Drew recognized his daughter, he hastily climbed out of the sedan and welcomed her into his arms. What a relief to find you safe and sound! he exclaimed. When Laura told me why you had gone to Melrose Lake, I was afraid for you what has happened? Oh, everything. I guess I'm lucky to be alive. But there's no time to tell you now. We must capture Stumpy Dowd first. He's escaping with Laura's fortune. Tell me, did you meet a racing car between here and River Heights? Not that I recall. We met only two automobiles, Laura added, and both were family cars. Then Stumpy didn't head for River Heights after all. He's probably striking for the state line, Carson Drew declared. The police will look for him on the River Heights Road. Stumpy will escape unless we can pick up his trail ourselves. I was almost positive he took this road. Perhaps he turned off before he had gone very far, Carson Drew suggested. We passed a branch road down here about five miles. He may have taken that. Where does it lead? To Hamilton and from there across the state line. Then he probably took that road. Oh, if we can catch him. He has such a head start. Come on, we can do it, Carson Drew cried. He turned quickly to Lara. Get in the roadster with Nancy, he ordered. If it comes to a battle, you girls can drop back and be out of range of the bullets. With alacrity, Lara obeyed. Nancy sprang in beside her. The motor of the roadster was already running, and she had only to shift gears to be off. She must pull out of the way before her father could turn his sedan in the road. I'll go on ahead, she shouted. All right, but if you see Stumpy's car, slow down and let me take the lead. Shifting gears, Nancy was off at top speed. A few minutes later, Laura looked back and reported that Carson Drew was rapidly making up the distance he had lost. Her eyes focused upon the road. Nancy Drew clung grimly to the wheel. The little figured ribbon in the speedometer crept higher and higher until the car wavered in the road. Reducing the speed slightly, she held her foot steady on the gasoline pedal. A sharp curve would have been Nancy's undoing, but she was fairly familiar with the road and knew that for several miles she had a straight stretch before her. "'If only there isn't another wretched detour to be made!' the girl exclaimed. But there was no detour, and for that straight stretch, Nancy did some of the fastest traveling, a rate of speed that often made Laura gasp in alarm. "'Oh, dear! Don't jump the fence or climb a tree!' gasped the girl. "'I won't,' answered Nancy, "'but hold on tight!' Yet even at the rapid rate she was traveling she doubted that it would be possible to overtake Stumpy Dowd. She figured that he must have from 15 to 30 minutes start, and his automobile was equipped with a special racing motor. Nancy's roadster was high-powered, but it was not reasonable to suppose that she could overtake the man unless luck favored her. Removing her eyes from the road for one brief instant, Nancy glanced anxiously at the gasoline gauge on the dash. To her relief, the tank registered nearly three quarters full. There was no need to worry on that score. Look, Laura cried sharply. Nancy's eyes came back to the road. Straight ahead, she saw a small red light. It must be the tail light of an auto, Laura declared uneasily. Can it be stumpy? Nancy did not reply at once, for she was too intent upon watching. Although she promptly reduced the speed of her engine, she noticed that the light was gradually becoming larger. At first, she thought she must be gaining on a car ahead. Then she decided that the light was not moving. I don't believe it can be stumpy, she told Lara, but we'll take no chances. As the roadster slowed down, Carson Drew came closer in his sedan. Nancy was about to permit him to pass when she looked again at the red light. She was now close enough to see that it was a lantern. Speeding up, she came to an obstruction across the road and was forced to halt. Carson Drew pulled up alongside. We can take the road to the right, he shouted. It leads to Hamilton. Stumpy must have taken it. Nancy was staring at a sign which read, Road Under Construction. Travel at your own risk. How about this road straight ahead, she demanded of her father. It's a shortcut to Hamilton. Then why not take it? It's closed for construction work. But it's not impassable, is it? Probably not. But at night... It's our only chance, father. We're so far behind Stumpy. We'll never catch him unless we risk this shortcut. You're right, Carson Drew said with quick decision. We'll try it but we must drive carefully. Springing from the sedan, he moved the barrier from the road, and Nancy drove through. At first, the highway seemed no different from the one she had been following, but before she had gone a mile, she saw the danger signs, which were in the form of steam shovels, wagons, and machinery parked along the roadside. Be careful, Lara warned her, Soon the little roadster was wallowing in soft dirt, and each instant Nancy half expected the wheels to sink to the hubs. The engine pulled hard, but did not stall. Nancy handled the wheel dexterously, weaving her way around objects in the road. Lara, who clung to the side of the car for dear life, was bounced roughly about. At last, as the worst of it seemed to be over, Nancy relaxed slightly. Is father still coming, she asked. Lara looked back. Yes, he's right behind. Then I guess we're through safely. I can see a straight stretch ahead. Again, she stepped on the accelerator, and the roadster responded with a burst of speed. In a few minutes, she reached the end of the road. Lara hastily climbed out and pulled away the barrier permitting the two automobiles to enter the main road. We've cut off ten miles, Nancy cried joyfully as Laura stepped back into the roadster. If we're ever going to overtake Stumpy, it ought to be in the next few minutes. As the little blue car plunged forward over the rough highway, the two girls kept gazing alertly into the darkness beyond the glare of the headlights, hoping to see the red tail light of Stumpy's automobile. As the minutes passed, and still nothing appeared ahead, Nancy Drew began to grow alarmed. After all, was it possible that she had made a mistake? Perhaps Stumpy had taken another road, and even now was across the state line, speeding toward the northern border. Laura expressed the fear. I'm afraid we're too late, Nancy. I'm not so sure about that, Laura. Nancy's voice was electric. "'Why, what do you see?' demanded Laura eagerly as she saw her friend bending low over the wheel. "'A light! I think we're approaching a car. I can't see anything. Just a minute. I think it went down behind that hill just ahead.' There was a long moment of suspense, and then Laura gave a little excited cry. "'Oh, now I see it!' "'And we're gaining,' Nancy announced grimly. I hope it's Stumpy. Your father must have seen the light, too, Lara informed Nancy, looking back. He's coming closer. Hadn't we better let him go ahead? Yes, I'll drop back in just a minute. But first, I want to see if it is Stumpy. Nancy could not increase the speed of the roadster, for already she was going as rapidly as she dared. She was elated to observe that little by little, she was creeping up on the car ahead. Soon, the headlights of her roadster played upon the back of the vehicle, and she observed that it was indeed a racing car. Even as she made the observation, the driver looked back. For an instant, his face was clearly illuminated. It was Stumpy Dowd! Chapter 23 A bad turn. As Nancy Drew recognized Stumpy Dowd in the racing car directly ahead, she remembered her promise to her father and pulled to the side of the road. Carson Drew flashed by in the brown sedan. He, too, had recognized Stumpy. Keeping close behind her father's automobile, Nancy kept her eyes on the red tail light. Stumpy, becoming aware that he was being followed, made a sudden burst of speed, and the distance between the cars was increasing. Oh, he's getting away, Lara cried anxiously. He'll not escape, Nancy returned grimly. Dad is speeding up too. She too increased the speed of her roadster to keep in the race. And what a race it was. With utter disregard for safety, Stumpy's car lunged over the rough roads closely followed by Carson Drew's sturdy sedan. To Nancy and Laura, who maintained the reckless pace, it seemed a miracle that the three automobiles remained between the fence posts. We're gaining again, Nancy observed a minute later. Then a shot rang out. Carson Drew had fired as a warning for Stumpy to halt. Instead of stopping, he answered in kind. There came a vivid flash of fire from his car, and an instant report. Stumpy had not shot into the air. A bullet whizzed dangerously close to the windshield of the brown sedan. Keep back, Nancy, Carson Drew shouted. The warning was lost in the roar of the wind. On and on the three cars raced. Stumpy gained ground and then lost it again. Carson Drew approached nearer and nearer. He would soon be within gun range, and this time he intended to shoot at the automobile tires and force Stumpy to halt. Nancy sensed that the end was drawing near, for it was apparent that the racing car had reached its maximum speed. Stumpy was making his last stand and knew it. He looked back over his shoulder frequently now. Nancy had never seen such reckless driving. Where would the mad race end? Suddenly, a look of horror came into Nancy's eyes. Straight ahead, she saw a huge black and white checkered board sign at the side of the road. Its significance sent a cold chill over her body. There was a sharp curve to be made. At the rate the three automobiles were traveling, they could never stay on the road. Instantly, Nancy cut her throttle and slammed on the brakes but to her terror, she saw that her father and Stumpy Dowd were racing on. In their eagerness, they had failed to see the warning sign. Speeding up again for an instant, Nancy leaned her head out of the window and tried to attract her father's attention. Stop! she screamed frantically. A curve! Whether her father heard her or had seen the danger himself, she did not know but he slammed on his brakes. The sedan skidded sideways, and for a moment, Nancy held her breath, fearful lest it turn Turtle into the ditch. By a skillful manipulation of the steering wheel, Carson Drew recovered control. The moment she had warned her father, Nancy tried to bring her own roadster to a stop, but she had gained so much momentum that she dared not slam on her brakes suddenly. Shutting off her gasoline and easing on the foot brake gradually, she saw the curve ahead and estimated that she would be able to make it without overturning. Lara, her face pale and drawn, gripped the seat fearfully, but no cry escaped her. It was Nancy who gave a frightened exclamation. In the racing car ahead, Stumpy Dowd was oblivious of approaching danger. He looked back over his shoulder and waved tauntingly as he saw the distance between Nancy's car and his own rapidly increase. Look, look, the curve, Nancy shouted. She had shouted the warning involuntarily. For a moment's reflection would have told her that Stumpy could not hear. Too late. The man saw the danger. He slammed on his emergency brake, but already the sharp curve was at hand. The racing car turned turtle at the edge of the road, wavering an instant, then plunged over the side of a steep cliff. <gasps> oh, Lara screamed. He'll be killed. As Nancy rounded the curve in safety and brought the roadster to a quivering halt, she avoided for the moment looking down into the valley. But for only an instant did she hesitate to view the wreck of the racing car. Springing from her roadster, she rushed to the edge of the road and courageously looked down over the cliff. Lara came running after her, and Carson Drew, who had just brought his sedan alongside the roadster, was close behind. In horror, the three gazed down into the valley. The car had rolled nearly to the bottom of the little valley and had overturned against a boulder a wheel had been torn loose from its axle, and the body had been mashed in. There was no sign of Stumpy Dowd, but it was inconceivable that he could still be alive. A silence held the trio as they gazed down upon the wreck and realized that their own fate might have been similar. At last, Carson Drew found his voice. I guess it's all over with Stumpy now. Oh, he may be alive, Nancy cried hopefully. We must get him out of the wreckage. You girls stay back, Mr. Drew said quietly, for he did not wish to expose them to a horrible sight. I'll see what I can do. No, father, you'll need me to help if he's still alive. I'll go too, Nancy insisted. Following her father, she lowered herself over the cliff, and grasped the branch of a tiny tree to keep from falling. Lara hesitated a moment, and then, summoning all of her courage, scrambled after her friend. The three rescuers half slid, half stumbled down the slope. There was no sound from the vicinity of the wreck. "'Stay back until I've had a look,' Carson Drew warned the girls again. Nancy intended to obey, for she had no desire to be the first to investigate the wreckage. But as she scrambled down the side of the cliff, she saw a red flame flash up from the front end of the car. She knew what that meant. The automobile had caught fire. With the gasoline tank in close proximity, there would soon be an explosion. Hurry, hurry, she urged her father. Carson Drew had seen the flames and he, too, realized the need for haste. Unless they worked quickly, it would be impossible to get Stumpy's body from the wreck. Sliding and falling down the slope, Nancy caught up with her father, and together they rushed toward the automobile. Flames were leaping up from the front end. At any moment, there might be an explosion. The car was half overturned and rested against a large boulder. Stumpy was pinned beneath the wreckage. With frantic haste, Nancy Drew and her father reached under the automobile and dragged the man out. He lay limp in their arms, and it was with difficulty that they carried him away from the burning car. We got him out just in time, Mr. Drew gasped as he carefully placed Stumpy on the ground. Nancy looked back at the burning car and gave a little scream. (gasps) The money! Laura's fortune! Before Carson Drew could restrain her, she ran back toward the wreck. Come back, her father shouted. Nancy did not pause. Throwing caution to the wind, she reached the wreck and groped about frantically. Her hand struck a suitcase, and she dragged it out. The heat was now almost unbearable, but Nancy would not be defeated. She knew there was another suitcase, and she was determined to save it. Diving under the car for a second time, she found the bag and triumphantly brought it out, only to be jerked from the scene by her father. "'Nancy! Nancy!' he cried. "'Are you mad? Those suitcases aren't worth your life!' There was a sudden explosion. Instantly, the combustible parts of the car ignited, and the dry grass in the immediate vicinity began to burn. As Nancy Drew realized what a narrow escape she had had, she trembled slightly. Oh, Nancy, Lara clung weakly to her, if anything had happened to you. Well, I wanted to get those suitcases, she defended her action. What if they had burned, Carson Drew demanded. Then Lara would have been without her fortune. All her money is in those two suitcases, unless I miss my guess. My money? Lara gasped. (gasps) Then I do have a fortune. You certainly have, Nancy assured her. And you risked your life to save it for me. Oh, how can I ever repay you? Don't think about that now, Nancy said quickly. I have a long story to tell you, but it must wait. Our first duty is to look after Stumpy. Carson Drew had already turned his attention to the inert form, which lay on the ground. A deep gash had been cut in Stumpy's forehead, and his right arm had been badly broken. His face was deathly white, and he did not appear to be breathing. Chapter 24 Stumpy's Fate I am afraid, began Carson Drew, but did not finish the sentence. Instead, he leaned over Stumpy Dowd and placed his fingers on the man's pulse. Is... "'Is he dead?' Nancy asked fearfully after a few moments. Carson drew relinquished Stumpy's wrist and turned grave eyes upon his daughter. "'He's still alive, but his heart action is very weak. I don't believe we'll be able to get him to the hospital.' "'But we must try.' "'Yes, of course, but it's not going to be easy to get him to the automobile.' "'There's a blanket in my roadster.' perhaps we could carry him on that. I believe we could. Then I'll get it. Nancy scrambled up the cliff to the road and returned in a few minutes with the blanket. The unconscious Stumpy was lifted gently and placed upon it. Mr. Drew and the two girls gathered up the corners and began the difficult climb. As they carried him to the automobile, Stumpy gave no sign of recovering consciousness. I'm afraid we can't do him much good, Mr Drew commented, as they stretched him out on the rear seat of the sedan. I believe he's recovering consciousness, Nancy observed quietly. As she spoke, the man stirred slightly and groaned. That's an encouraging sight, Carson Drew declared. We'll rush him to the hospital at Hamilton. I'll go back after the suitcases and catch up with you later, Nancy suggested. All right, that will be the wisest, I guess. We must rush Stumpy to the hospital without a minute's delay. He turned to Lara. Perhaps you had better ride with me and keep an eye on Stumpy. I don't think he'll recover enough to make trouble, but someone had best watch him. You don't mind? Of course not. Lara climbed into the sedan with the lawyer, and Nancy watched them drive away. Then she hurriedly descended the cliff and picked up the two suitcases she was tempted to open them to make sure that lara's fortune was inside but upon second thought decided that it would take too much time she must speed after her father and lara dragging the heavy suitcases up the slope she deposited them in the roadster and started down the road after the sedan although she drove rapidly she did not overtake her father reaching hamilton She stopped at a gasoline station and asked the way to the police hospital. Arriving there, she saw her father's sedan parked outside. Leaving the two precious suitcases inside the roadster, she locked both doors and ran inside. Laura was standing near the door, and Carson Drew was talking with the authorities. Presently, he came over to Nancy and Laura, bringing a distinguished looking man with him. Quietly, "'he presented Mr. Howland, the chief of police. "'The man bowed to both girls, but his eyes lingered upon Nancy. "'I have just learned the part you played in the daring capture of Stumpy Dowd,' he said to her. "'Allow me to congratulate you.' "'The chief of police extended his hand, and Nancy Drew accepted it with a pleased smile. "'It was really nothing,' she protested modestly. I would never have been suspicious of the man if I hadn't been trying to help my friend. Even after I discovered his identity, I might have fallen down on the job if father hadn't come along at the critical moment. I'm not sure about that, Miss Drew, and the chief smiled. You strike me as a very resourceful young lady. Suppose there's no question that the man is really Stumpy Dowd, Nancy inquired. She was eager to change the subject to a less personal one. Not the slightest. I came to the hospital just as soon as I was notified that he'd been captured and identified him myself. I would know that face anywhere. He's been in the rogues' gallery for a good many years, but has managed to keep out of the way of the police. He's led us a merry chase. Will he live? Stumpy's on the operating table now, Carson Drew explained to Nancy. The doctor considers his condition very grave, but he may pull through. And if he does, he'll get a long term in prison, the chief added. Nancy was pressed for details of her part in the capture of the man. However, in telling her story, she did not mention Jacob Aborn, for she wished to surprise Laura later. We may as well go back home, Carson Drew said presently. It may be hours before we learn anything definite about Stumpy's condition. If you'll give me your telephone number... I'll see to it that you're kept informed, the chief promised. After Mr. Drew had written his address and telephone number on a slip of paper, the three left the building. (sighs) Carson Drew yawned sleepily. I think it's time we were all in bed. Not yet, Nancy declared importantly. We must return to Melrose Lake. Why should we go back there? I'll tell you when we get there. Nancy announced mysteriously. It's a surprise. Well, just as you say, her father grumbled good naturedly, but I hope the surprise is worthwhile because I'm tired. With Lara and Nancy riding in the roadster, the two automobiles started off for Melrose Lake. This time, however, they travelled at a moderate rate of speed. Where in the world are we going? Lara questioned, as Nancy turned into a familiar side road. Aren't we heading toward my guardian's bungalow? It was with difficulty that she spoke the word guardian. Yes, Nancy admitted. Oh, why are we going back there? After all that has happened, I don't believe I should ever want to go back. Nancy reached out and patted Lara's hand reassuringly. Just trust me, she said smilingly. Nancy had selected the lake route and was able to drive the roadster very nearly to the doorstep of the Aborn bungalow. Stopping the car, she waited for her father, who was a short way behind. Why, there's a light inside the house, Laura exclaimed, and I can see someone moving about. Nancy Drew smiled and began to unload the suitcases from the back of the roadster. What are you up to anyway? Mr. Drew demanded as he stepped out of his sedan and came toward the girls. You'll soon find out, Nancy laughed. Here, I'll carry those suitcases. Mr. Drew picked up the two bags and followed Nancy down the path toward the bungalow. Laura held back rather reluctantly, but Nancy kept pulling her along. Boldly, she opened the front door and stepped into the lighted living room. Laura, a low voice murmured. Jacob Aborn arose from a chair and held out his arms. Laura hesitated and glanced uncertainly from Nancy to Jacob Aborn. Your real guardian, Nancy said. Jacob (gasps) Aborn. My guardian! Oh! With a little cry of joy, Laura went to him. For several minutes, Nancy and her father stood quietly, watching the happy homecoming. Then at last, they were swept into the conversation again. "'Did the doctor come?' Nancy inquired, for she observed that Mr. Aborn appeared much stronger than when she had left him a few hours before. "'Yes, thanks to your kindness, Miss Drew. He said he thought I would be all right in a few days. I feel much better already. I'm glad of that. I worried a great deal about you after you left. What happened?' Did you catch that scoundrel? Nancy was forced to repeat the story a second time, and for the benefit of her father and Lara, added the details of her imprisonment in the deserted bungalow. You took a great deal of risk, Mr. Drew chided his daughter, but I must admit it was a clever piece of detective work. Thanks, Dad. All's well that ends well, Mr. Aborn quoted rather tritely, but in this case, it didn't end well. What do you mean? Nancy asked quickly. Laura has lost her fortune, and I am penniless, too. Oh, no, Mr. Aborn. We recovered the money. I thought it burned up in the wreck. I should say not, Laura broke in. Nancy dragged those suitcases out of the fire at the risk of her life. And to think we haven't even looked to see if the money is there, Nancy exclaimed. I guess we've been too busy in the last hour. Let's have a look now, Mr. Drew proposed. Picking up one of the suitcases, he examined it critically. Locked, he announced, and Stumpy probably has the key. Oh, how disappointing, Lara murmured. If there's a hammer in the house, we can soon have these bags open, the lawyer declared. I know where to find one, Laura cried eagerly. I'll get it. In a few minutes, she returned from the kitchen and gave the hammer to Mr. Drew. After a few sharp blows, the lock burst open. Anxiously, the four looked inside. Carson Drew pulled out a great deal of clothing, but a careful examination revealed nothing of value. Oh, the money isn't there, Nancy exclaimed in bitter disappointment what could have become of it? There's another bag, her father reminded her. The lock was stubborn, but several hard blows broke it. As Mr. Drew pushed back the cover, there was a chorus of, Oh! For there, on top of a pile of clothing, were the missing banknotes. Jacob Aborn snatched up the neat packages of bills and hastily counted them. Mr. Drew continued his search through the suitcase, and unearthed a small bundle of papers, which he turned over to Lara's guardian. (gasps) "'My property!' Jacob Aborn declared. "'Is Lara's money all here?' Nancy asked. "'Every cent of it.' "'Then I'm really not poor after all,' Lara said happily. "'Stumpy told me I was practically a pauper.' "'A pauper? Why, you're rich!' Your fortune amounts to more than a hundred thousand dollars. A hundred thousand dollars? Oh, I can scarcely believe it. You deserve every cent of it, Nancy said kindly. The nicest part of all is that I have a guardian to love me, Lara returned wistfully. And a guardian who will always try to make you happy, Mr. Aborn added feelingly. You've suffered a great deal the last few weeks. I'll do my best to make it up to you. And I'll look after you, too. You'll need a good nurse for a few days. Then we'll leave you in good hands, Mr. Drew said as he picked up his hat. I gather that you don't care to return to River Heights with us now. Oh, no, Lara said quickly, and then bit her lip and flushed. I didn't mean that the way it sounded. You don't know how I appreciate everything you've done for me, but... It's just that I want to stay with my own guardian. We understand, Nancy said kindly, as she took Lara's hand in her own. I'll send your things tomorrow. But I'll see you often, shan't I? I hope so, Lara. River Heights is only twenty miles away. You must drive up often, Mr. Aborn put in. Lara thought for a moment. Promise you'll come next Sunday, she begged. You and your father must both come. I have a special reason for asking. Do, urged Mr. Aborn. All right, we'll come. After Jacob, Aborn, and Laura had again thanked Nancy and her father for what they had done, the two said goodbye and left the bungalow. As they stepped out on the porch, Nancy chanced to turn her eyes toward the east, and a startled expression came into her face. What's the matter now? Mr. Drew asked. The sun! It's just coming up over the lake. We've been up all night. I feel like it, too, her father grumbled. Nancy did not hear, for she had turned toward the east again and was observing the glory of the sunrise. It was symbolic, she told herself, not only of a new day, but of a new life for Laura Pendleton. Chapter 25 Laura's Gratitude Nancy, Drew, and her father did not forget their promise to call again at Jacob Aborn's bungalow, and the following Sunday afternoon found them on the way to Melrose Lake. They started directly after a midday dinner, which had been a rather silent meal. It had rained a bit during the early morning, but now the sun was shining brightly, and there was just enough breeze to make it pleasant. Nancy was driving her roadster, while her father sat beside her, an unlighted cigar between his lips. Neither said a word until the town was left far behind, and they were drawing toward the country of the lakes. "'What are you thinking of, Nancy?' questioned her father at last. "'I was thinking of Lara and of Mr. Aborn,' she replied. "'I was wondering if everything is turning out all right.' "'It ought to, with Stumpy out of the way.' answered Carson Drew. So it would seem, but Lara is such an unusual girl, and she went through so much. I'd hate to see her break down and have a spell of sickness. Oh, joy seldom hurts anyone, Nancy. It's real sorrow that pulls a person down. I certainly hope the real Mr. Aborn proves to be all right. I think I'm a pretty good judge of character, and he looked all right to me. A little later, they passed the spot where Nancy had first met Lara during the awful storm, when the terror-stricken girl was on her way to the Drew homestead. How many things had happened since then. Then they came inside of the bungalow. As they drove up in the blue roadster, Lara Pendleton ran from the house and greeted them enthusiastically. She was dressed in a bright blue frock and seemed happier than Nancy had ever seen her. The change was remarkable. Her eyes were bright, and her cheeks were beginning to fill out a trifle. "'Oh, I'm so glad you came!' Laura cried eagerly as she led them toward the bungalow. As the two girls walked up the path arm in arm, Nancy lowered her voice. "'How do you like your guardian?' she asked. "'Oh, Nancy, he's the kindest man in the world. He is so good to me.' "'I'm glad that you're happy here, Laura.' And nancy smiled you didn't like the bungalow at first you know oh it wasn't the house it was stumpy dowd everything has changed now my guardian is planning so many wonderful things for me but i'll tell you about that later how is mr aborn nancy inquired solicitously they had reached the porch by this time and jacob aborn himself opened the door he had heard nancy's question I never felt better in my life, he assured her. I've had a wonderful nurse. Mr. Aborn drew up comfortable chairs for the two guests and sat down beside Lara on the Davenport. After the four had chatted for some time, a maid served tea. Over the cups, Mr. Aborn told of his plans for his ward. I want her to rest this summer and enjoy her friends, he declared. This fall, if I feel I can part with her for a few months. "'I'll send her to a girls' school. "'You'll like that, Laura.' "'Oh, I'll love it. "'I've always dreamed of going to a boarding school. "'But of course, I shan't want to leave you. "'Don't worry on that score, Laura. "'I'll probably spend most of my time coming to visit you.' "'You're spoiling me,' Laura laughed. "'She turned to Nancy. "'Mr. Aborn is planning so many wonderful things for me. "'He's building a tennis court in the yard.' And I'm going to take swimming lessons. I want to get Laura a motorboat, Mister. Aborn explained, but thinks she should know how to swim first. And the nicest of all, I'm going to have a new roadster, something like yours, Nancy. Then you'll be able to drive over to River Heights and see me often. Indeed, I will. And you and your friend Helen Corning must come here. We'll have regular weekend parties. By the way. Jacob Aborn turned to Mr. Drew, abruptly changing the subject. Have you learned anything about Stumpy Dowd? Why, yes, I thought you knew. I've heard nothing. The Hamilton chief of police telephoned yesterday. You'll not be bothered by that man again. You mean he's dead? Oh, no, Nancy broke in hastily. His injuries weren't as serious as the doctor at first thought. "'He's been removed from the hospital and sent to jail. "'He'll probably get 25 years, eh, Dad?' "'30, I believe,' her father corrected. Jacob Aborne nodded in satisfaction. "'Well, he'll receive his just due at that "'When I think of the way that man tried to rob Lara.' "'Oh, Nancy, we owe you so much,' Lara said earnestly. "'You saved my guardian's life, and you recovered my fortune.' "'I hope you haven't forgotten the night on Moon Lake "'when you rescued Helen and me,' Nancy reminded her with a smile. "'It isn't all one-sided, you see. "'But you've repaid the debt threefold.' "'Laura and I have been talking it over,' "'Mr. Aborn said quietly. "'We've been trying to think of a way to thank you.' "'Oh, I don't want any thanks.' Nancy returned hastily. "'I really enjoyed the adventure.' I can't say that I did, Mr. Aborn responded ruefully. Two weeks in a dungeon. Nancy, you must accept some reward for what you did, Lara insisted, returning to the original subject. Nancy shook her head stubbornly. But I have a fortune in my own name. Unless I give you money, I don't know how to reward you. My reward is to know that you're happy, Lara. It's so kind of you to say that, but I don't feel right. I don't want to hurt your feelings, Lara, but really, I can't accept a reward. My daughter has solved a number of baffling mystery cases and has made a point never to take pay for her work, Mr. Drew explained, coming to Nancy's rescue. It doesn't seem right not to give her anything. Nancy has accepted a number of souvenirs as reminders of her various adventures. "'Oh, I remember now,' Laura cried eagerly. "'Helen Corning told me. "'I did take an old mantel clock "'for solving the mystery of the missing Crowley, Will,' Nancy admitted, "'and I accepted a silver urn "'for discovering the ghost of the Turnbull Mansion. "'Then it's only right that you accept a souvenir "'for solving the mystery of the deserted bungalow, will you?' "'Well,' Nancy hesitated, "'say yes,' it will make me feel so much better. All right, I agree. Lara sprang from the Davenport and hurried upstairs to her room. In a few minutes, she returned, bearing a tiny jewel case. It isn't half enough, she declared, handing Nancy the box. Oh, Lara, I'm afraid you've given me something expensive. She lifted the cover of the box and gazed at the contents. The jewel case contained a beautiful pendant of precious stones. Nancy gave a little exclamation of surprise and delight as she held the necklace to the light. Oh, Lara, she breathed, it's gorgeous, but of course I can't keep it. Oh, you must, why you promised. I said I would accept a souvenir, but I never dreamed you would give me anything so expensive. Didn't this pendant belong to your mother? Yes, but that's no reason for you to refuse to take it. She would want me to give it to you. But it's such a precious keepsake to give away. It is precious, Lara admitted quietly. But I have other pieces that Mother left me. There's no one in the world I'd rather see have it than you. If it were not precious, I would not offer it. Please take it, Nancy. Lara's expression was so earnest and pleading that Nancy Drew could not find it in her heart to refuse. After all, she had given her promise. I will keep it, she said with sudden decision, and I'll always prize it highly. After that, the conversation shifted to less personal subjects, and the afternoon passed quickly. Before Mr. Drew and his daughter departed, Laura escorted Nancy about the place, showing her the garden, the new boathouse, and the site for the tennis court. Only a week ago, I fairly hated this place, she said thoughtfully, and now I love it. A great deal has happened since that stormy night on Moon Lake when we first met, Nancy returned musingly. As I look back, it doesn't seem possible that we could have packed so much adventure into one short month. No, it doesn't, but the adventures were mostly yours. I seem to have a way of getting into the thick of things, Nancy laughed. Oh, well, everything came out right, and the nicest part of all is that you have found a happy home and wonderful friends. An understanding silence fell upon the two girls, and for several moments they stood arm in arm, looking out across the lake. Presently, as they slowly moved on again, Laura Pendleton turned to her friend with a twinkle in her eyes. You've started quite a career for yourself, Nancy. I wonder if you'll have any more adventures. Nancy gave a tired sigh. Oh, I think I've had enough to last me the rest of my life. But in her heart, she knew she had not. The love for mystery would always be with her. And? Nancy Drew's adventuring days were by no means over. It was written in the annals of the future that before many months had elapsed, she would be engrossed in a problem as puzzling as the bungalow mystery, a problem which would tax her mental powers and ingenuity to the limit. It is revealed in The Mystery at Lilac Inn. But for the present... Nancy Drew was not pining for excitement or adventure. The prospect of a restful summer with Laura Pendleton and Helen Corning satisfied her completely. The End This is your host, Catherine Lopez-Luker. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Stories Come to Life. Be sure to join us next time when we begin a new book. You can find a link to our podcast on the Marshall Public Library webpage, www.marshallpl.org. I'll talk to you again soon.